Well, everybody knows what happens on Friday. Friday, it's time to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Subalero, and I am super duper. That's right. I said super duper excited for this show. But before I get into it, I'm not, I'm not even going to talk much. I'm going to bring in my partner, Kelly Grayson. KG, man, we got a show today. Yes, yes, we do. Super duper excited. You like that? Is that good? But not super califragilistic I'm not even going there. So, I mean, what do you say in Louisiana for super duper? Anything? Uh, no. We just see in, in Louisiana, especially in South Louisiana, we don't we don't have that extensive a vocabulary. So I see. We just okay. have to repeat the same words. So we just say we're. I'm super super excited. Oh, I'm super real, super real so twice. Cool. Yeah, if you if you say it twice, it me it's it, it doubles the the emphasis. All right. Well, I think that goes. We'll we'll kind of use that as we need to. We'll kind of use that as we need to. So, but Kelly, I got to tell you, man. I mean, um, in in March or in May, the middle of May, you know, I was mm-hmm. on vacation. You and Rob did a yeah. great job of uh, mm-hmm. you know doing the show in my absence, right? And there mm-hmm. was a, there was one story that popped up that was making me jump i was just really crazy and i really wanted to talk about it and it was a shame that uh, i wasn't on the radio that week right and uh, mm-hmm. i kind of i I've, if i remember right i kind of sent it to you and rob to say maybe you guys want to talk about this on an upcoming show yeah. but it it happened and you and i have talked about this uh, a couple of times now but it mm-hmm. finally happened that in buffalo new york uh around the, the middle of february um someone was given a random drug test his name is scott martin he was a buffalo firefighter and he came up positive on his urinalysis and he mentioned that hey i was prescribed medical marijuana by my physician he's a guy who was uh in the military um you know was in the war uh talks about ptsd and he was given medical marijuana for his uh, conditions well i don't want to specifically talk about this case but you've already read the show notes kelly you know what's coming up we have Mm -hmm. his attorney dave holland on and dave i want to welcome you to inside ems and hopefully we can kind of get some insight from you because this is going to be a big issue inside ems as the years start to tick away thanks for joining us uh, well, thank you. It's an honor to be here, and you're right. It's not only a super-duper show, but it's a super-duper interesting topic because it's going to affect uh, uh, EMS workers around the country in no time. So I just yeah. do want i want to give this little disclaimer, uh, Dave, that you're also from New York, so it's two New Yorkers against one Cajun. So well, I, I just want to prove what it usually takes, two New Yorkers equal one Ah, Cajun. okay. Thank you very much for playing. <laughs> All right, Dave. So again, we don't want to specifically talk about uh, Scott and what's going on up there. But so now when we start to think about this medical marijuana, I, I usually take the side from the EMS leader standpoint. What do we have to do now to prepare ourselves for exactly what is happening? And, and here's my here's my position that I've said this all the time. How can I say that uh, somebody has something prescribed or re- suggested by a physician that they need to use same thing with Adderall so can can I come as the as the EMS leader and say you know what you you you, you can't take Adderall because it's speed right so when we start to think about this what do we need to start to do from a career field standpoint from an EMS leadership standpoint to address this issue well it's a great question and not one that's easily tackled but um as an EMS leader i think you got to start with are you seeing um 
we've certainly seen people that suffer from severe pain, no doubt uh, in the EMS field, and particularly in my client's case, being a fireman um, who had also served in Iraq and Afghanistan. You know, there's combined um, significant pain issues that he suffers from and PTSD and so forth. Uh, and that's something you do see with people that are frontline uh, service folks that, that is not uncommon. Um, the first question I think as an EMS uh, leader is, you know, are you noticing any impact for the better or for the worse by their implementation of medical cannabis into their um, medical regimes? You know, and in, uh, certainly in most clients that I've spoken to that are medical patients, they do not use this during work and they're not using it as a end run around the idea that I can get high anytime I want to. It's pretty serious stuff and there's serious conditions they're getting. So I think that as an EMS leader, you got to first really sit down and talk to the person about what prompted them to become a patient and how is it impacting upon them, and then look at your own objective analysis about how they're doing as a patient uh, while they're performing the services that they're hired for. Dave, one of my questions was, and, and you know, I'll preface this by saying you won't find a much more anti-drug person than I am, but, but my whole perspective on on drug use uh and and drug problems in our society has come full circle in the last 10 years uh and i've, I've been seriously asking myself the question in recent years what is what harms our society more our war on drugs or the drugs themselves and uh and it's tended toward uh the more harm to our society is done by the war on drugs rather than the drugs themselves but chris and i have have debated on the show previously about what kind of restrictions an employer can place on their employees, uh, specifically in regard to cigarette smoking? We had a we, there was a case, Chris. You probably remember this a few years back, where a uh, an agency in Florida fired several of its employees for smoking cigarettes, which, as we all know, are legal, um, and they were. They were hired uh, as part of an acquisition uh, of another company, and uh, they uh, were, were, you know, longtime smokers, and they tested positive. I, I think they tested their hair or something, uh, and they were fired because, uh, but the way they, you know, the employment contract they signed with their previous employer that was acquired by this other company did not prohibit the use of cigarettes. So what kind of what what kind of authority or power does an employer have to restrict what what substances its employees may take, even when they're legal? Well, it's it's a complicated issue, and um, you know this tests all the limits of what's an employer's right to dictate the lifestyle of their employees, mm -hmm. including dating, which was uh, uh, something that came in uh, the '80s during the presidential election. Oh then, yeah, um, where EDS, you know, it became a big deal. Cigarettes, you know, listen, they're not, they are not considered a medical drug. So the yeah. difference becomes one of quality of life issues and what's the liability that an employer might have for both first and secondhand smoke implications. That's not the same as what we're talking about with cannabis, at least. Um, and I would agree with you that the war on drugs has been more harmful to our society than drugs themselves, and particularly with marijuana. And the reason being is that uh, your your turn uh, or your change of heart over the last 10 years is kind of tracking with the change of the public's acknowledgement that there had the prohibitionist mentality was deceived, mostly um, implicated by lies and propaganda. Yeah. 
that, um, and I do sort of a long lecture, but there are special interest groups that are out there that have always tried to keep cannabis from becoming a legalized drug because they stood to profit from it, not the least of which would be alcohol, tobacco, and uh, the sugar industries, the alcohol industries. So they all teamed up on this plant and were able to, you know, sort of bandy about their influence over politicians to make this not only illegal, but a Schedule One illegal, which is the most severe form of drug. Um, so the reasons behind that are completely false. Um, you, you always remember, you'll certainly remember how they said that marijuana is a gateway drug mm-hmm. to all the other hard stuff. And that was put out by the DEA and very intentionally. But in 2015, in pretty discreet form, the DEA took that off of their website, acknowledging that there's no statistical basis whatsoever to support that very rationale for why they you know, uh, policed cannabis so heavily, because it actually is proving itself to be a gateway off of hard drugs. And opioid addicts and heroin addicts and others are turning to it as well as people that are finding significant relief without having to go through traditional pain medications that are coming out from pharmaceutical companies that all they seem to do is come up with formulas that require you take more and more so that you become uh, effectively addicted or you become a conveyor belt of consumption for them to make profits. So cannabis was demonized for all the wrong reasons, and I think your change of heart may reflect some of that. Um, but so it's definitely been the war on drugs, at least with marijuana, that has harmed our society. And when you look at the arrest records, 87.5% of all arrests um, are people of color. They are not yeah. everyday people. And, and when you look at population distribution, you know, whites consume just as much as every other group. And yet they are four to five times more heavily penalized. Yeah. So yeah and, and those are all things behind it. Yeah. And. It seems that, you know, over the years, Big Tobacco has had a far better PR uh, than than medical marijuana. If we were to use just the the strict interpretation of abuse potential, uh, potential medical uses and and harmful side effects, uh, tobacco ought to be the Schedule 1 drug with no medical uses and and high abuse potential and and high addiction. And and medical marijuana ought to be, or recreational marijuana for that matter, ought to be well down the list. Uh, Yet it's not. Yeah, and, and and the alcohol industry as well. You know, the cancers oh, yeah. and the different gout and the diabetes that, that can induce and blindness. Um, you you have uh, infants, you know, with fetal alcohol syndrome. So, mm-hmm. agreed, it it was misclassified, but it was done so with real devious intent, which was uh, to allow pharmaceutical and other industries to continue to profit. Um, so, so it's changing, but you know, look at the politicians who are now standing up for it. You mm-hmm. never thought would have. Yeah. Putting politics aside, you've got Donald Trump, you've got Ted Cruz, you've got a lot of serious conservatives who are now saying this is a state's rights issue and the states ought to decide it, not the federal government. That's exactly. A big transition. Yeah. And, and Bonner just came out. I mean, he was the guy who was staunchly against this, and now he's in the lobby of uh, me- medical marijuana. But anyway, uh, you know, specifically, I want to kind of stick with the uh, agencies. So when we think about this from the standpoint yeah. of e- EMS, right? And just to paint a picture as an EMS leader, I mean, we, we've got to do our job better and cleaner than the next guy. We've got to be able to set and we've got to be able to ensure that the public is going to trust us to take care of them on what could be the worst day of their life, Dave. We got to be able to yep. ensure that we stand with our with our fire and our police brethren and that we have the utmost of integrity and the utmost. There are people within our career field who are saying that the use of marijuana now goes against the the fabric 
of what we're what we stand for as a career field. My question to you really is, as I think, well, I don't know if that's a question for you, but I, I think that that's a little bit antiquated that we have to start to think about it. So I guess my question to you is from a legal aspect, and certainly know that states are different, do we have the ability to say if you're busted with medical marijuana, recreational is different, with medical marijuana that you were given a prescription for, is that something that we could really terminate you for? Uh, you know, and this gets to the heart of some of the issues that are in the case in Buffalo about collective bargaining agreements and everything else. Let, let's start with the fundamental principle that it should not be while EMS heads like yourselves have to take responsibility for pro- providing the public the service that's life saving support. There seems to be no concern when somebody's on OxyContin, Xanax, or other types mm-hmm. of Schedule Three drugs and even Schedule Three drugs that allow them to get through their workday. Most medical cannabis patients you'll talk to do not use it during the day, and they really use it after work and to go to bed at night that allows them to sleep and get rested in a way that they've not been able to before. So the, the tearing at the moral fabric has lots to do with the vestiges and holdovers of the prohibitionist propaganda that people hold on to is thinking this is still going to rip apart the youth of America when in fact it doesn't. Um, So that's what you sometimes run up against. But in the collective bargaining agreements, you know, there's, it's one thing to say, you know, people are going to work a certain number of hours and be paid this. And if there's overtime, there's that. And, um, you know, doing it across a whole spectrum of employees. But nowhere have I ever seen that employees are supposed to give up their fundamental right to their bodily protection and mm-hmm. to be able to pursue the, you know, the pursuit of happiness being health as wealth. Um, never have I seen that given up in the way that it was in Buffalo and in a lot of other, you know, collective bargain agreements where it was a matter of oversight for the most part, rather than a matter of intention, as best as I can tell, which is the law has changed in the last since 1996, when California became a medical marijuana state, you now have 37 states that have medical marijuana in the United States. And these collective bargaining agreements usually last 10, 15, 20 years. So people are not actively updating them um, right. as the law changes, and particularly something on a matter of personal health. And so I want some of the things I think you're going to run into. And I want to touch on something as well. And, and please help me with this as I, as I bring this up to you. New York State also has a, um, what is it called, a a compassion law, Um, um, basically that says no one could be fired for medical marijuana. I mean, isn't that the basis of that as well? Well, yeah. So in New York's medical marijuana law is called the Compassionate Care Act, and it has two very unique provisions. And for those people, look it up. It's Public Health Law 3369, and it's subsections 1 and 2. And subsection one says if you're if you have a qualifying medical condition, which includes um, uh, chronic pain and PTSD and autism and wasting disease and other serious, serious issues, you are deemed to have a disability under New York state law. And therefore, you cannot be discriminated against as a disabled person because you use you have an affliction that you treat with cannabis. So that's the big thing at the heart of it. But the second subsection of that that provision of the law of the Compassionate Care Act is that 
at the same time, an employer is not required to accommodate an employee if it means it might impact negatively upon a federal contract or federal benefits that they receive. Mm -hmm. So particularly with firefighters, you'll find that some fire departments receive federal funding. I see. And because a, a medical cannabis patient would, in fact, be violating federal law, by receiving federal grant money and, and working, they have allowed those uh, uh, employers to not have to accommodate. But in New York State and in the, in the Buffalo case, the sole reason why they terminated my client was simply because he tested positive for, for cannabis, even though he was a licensed medical marijuana patient. Yeah. against whom you cannot take any discriminatory action. So that's what's at the heart of that law. And there was, there was an uh, uh, excellent example of that was a, a story from March 15th of this year where an FDNY uh, EMT and 911 operator was dismissed or placed on limited duty uh, for medical marijuana use for Crohn's disease. Uh, and, and that's yeah. the thing they cite. They cited the Drug-Free Workplace Act because FDNY, FDNY does receive federal funding. Um, right. So, and I think that's a horrible result because, yeah. you know, that doesn't alleviate the person's suffering and you haven't shown that they've negatively been impacted by using the medicine to do their job. That's, I'm sorry, that's just my opinion, but I, well, I, I you know, think it's, I think it's, um, about public health. Our, our federal government moves very swiftly when it comes, uh, when they want to infringe our rights, but when they want to restore them, uh, they right. move at a glacial pace. Uh, <laughs> that's the, that's the libertarian in them, Dave, just so you know. <laughs> Shall not be infringed. That ought to tattoo that on me somewhere. Um, well, as a, as a fellow libertarian said to me, you know, using the expression at a glacial pace is pretty fast these days, given what global warming is doing. Exactly. So. <laughs> you know, one of the sentiments I've expressed with Chris in, in past podcasts is my idea of uh, the libertarian idea is the legally married gay couple uh, defending their legal marijuana patch with a fully automatic weapon. Uh, right. <laughs> um, but, uh, um, my, my question for you is you talk about antiquated uh, laws and the, how they don't catch up with current practice and this sort of thing. Um, and, and I think also that, that many of our policymakers and, and agency leaders' perceptions of marijuana uh, is far different than what is available out there now. Now, I've, I've done some reading on this and, and you know, that, that uh, it'd be interesting to see where the Venn diagram of anti-GMO people and, and uh, freedom and marijuana people uh, <laughs> mm -hmm. overlap because most of the mar marijuana you're smoking today or taking in capsule form or, or, or in topical oils or vaping uh, has been genetically modified. And, and many of the, the, the medicinal marijuana strains out there are very low in THC, which produces the high, and very high uh, in the other uh, potentially beneficial can cannabinoids. So, yep. I mean, yep. how specifically... but. But the question is, is, is do, do the testing processes specifically test for those beneficial medical marijuana uh, cannabinoid uh, uh, compounds, or do they simply test for THC and boom, if you got it in your system, you're, you're done for? Well, and, and, and therein lies the rub, right, which is, it, not all cannabinoids are alike, but the one that is technically, which, which has been outlawed federally is Delta-9. Uh, yeah. THC that and and but and you see a lot now of people saying oh it's delta eight it's not the THC that gets you high it's done obtained differently but 
the, the, the bottom line is if you test positive with the metabolite, which is just sort of the trace elements of mm -hmm. a THC molecule, either delta-9, even delta-8, uh, even CBD, the other cannabidiol, mm -hmm. which is one that does not get you high, that is going to register as if you've had recent consumption of the illegal THC substance. And that's what's triggering a lot of stuff. So you're getting a lot of, I won't say false positives, um, in the medical field, because while it's low THC, there's still THC there. Um, but it is, uh, it's tough because there's, the science is not exacting enough to be able to discern, as far as I know, from a blood or urine test or a saliva test even, um, whether that's just pure CBD, Delta-8, other cannabinoids that aren't CBG or CBN. You know, it's just too hard to tell right now. And yeah. I'm sure that there are many, many tech and pharmaceutical com companies out there hoping to make billions of dollars by being the first to market with one of those tests. Right. Yeah. Um, because this also comes to the heart of roadside stops and whether somebody's driving while impaired. Exactly. exactly. The There's no, and, yeah. There's yeah, no test that's going to that's going to show impairment. Yeah. Follow-up question on that. Whether you're impaired. Yeah, yeah. I, I, brief follow-up question on that. I was going to, to ask, you know, we, we have an established legal limit for alcohol, 0 .08. Uh, and, and we know that beyond that, it starts to affect your your reaction time, your fine motor uh, fine motor skills. Um, yeah. But we don't have. Correct me if I'm wrong. We don't have a similar uh, legally established threshold for what constitutes impairment due to THC. Well, hang on, Kelly. Even even before you get to this question, right? I'm going to tell you this though. If I've taken OxyContin, if I've taken hydrocodone, oh, yeah, yeah, if I've yeah. taken state oil, and you pull me over because I'm in pain, there's no test for that either. So, either. It, and, you know, and how do we test for cognitive impairment? Because the, the current blood alcohol test doesn't test for cognitive impairment. It just tests for reaction time and, and, and motor skills. Right. So uh, we got a long way to go before the... we can uh, – before we uh, can, can – um, say unequivocally that that uh we can do this safely i would think but but um uh well rephrasing that uh our legal system and our testing system has a long way to go to catch up with uh with what is uh what is necessary today sustained <laughs> well let me just because uh, you hit on an important thing which is the driving issue and so while 0 0.08 it seems to be the standard at which you'll see the delayed response time like you guys were mm -hmm. discussing um with the couple things with cannabis so when Wa i believe it was washington or it may have been oregon but one of them said okay we're going to put in a presumptive level of point it's a uh, five nanograms per deciliter mm -hmm. is going to be considered you know uh impairment then they started finding that people's tolerances is, is very different and that five nanograms really is that you've consumed within the last 72 hours. Wow. They were bumping it up to 11 nanograms last I followed and talking going up to 17 before they saw actual live impairment at the time of the incident or, or confrontation. Yeah. But that's via, that's via blood test, right? That's the blood test, but the problem is the blood test is going to show positive for the metabolite, not necessarily right. the nanograms, which is the uh, active amount correct. of THC. So you got this sort of dividing line, depending on what, you know, and this has lots to do with state municipal funding, which tests they can afford to administer. You yeah. know, a lot of them just say you have, you test positive for THC, but that could be from 30 days ago. Um, right. The nanogram test is much more 
exacting, um, but you know it costs a lot more to do it, as far as I understand. Yeah, so, well, you could probably pick up five doing... nanograms on a contact high at a fish concert. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, Dave, let me let me ask you this: as we're getting up there in time, and, and I've I've always thought this, and I've never said it out loud. Is this is this potentially not your case, but this topic? Is it potentially a Supreme Court case? I think it has to be. I think that it's going to be the power of employers and the power of um, employees and unions to sign away certain rights with collective bargaining and whether the right to personal health is supersedes any and all bargaining agreements that could be entered into. Yeah. I, you know, you do give up, you give up your right to consume alcohol or cannabis if you join the Army. Right. You give up the right to, you know, consume alcohol if you're a bus driver or a pilot during the time that you're working, you know. So these are important issues, and they're real, and people's concerns are real. They shouldn't be downplayed um, about whether there's public safety issues. <laughs> because doesn't you got to see some soldiers on leave. I don't think they've given up any alcohol. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, there's, there's no... Over the years it, you know, back in... Is, Kelly, back in the old <laughs> day, I went, I went in the Air Force in 1984. You were able to have two beers at lunch. And, of course, two beers were never two beers. But the, the, no. the Air Force didn't change that. Uh, until later is about 1988 where they said no more beer at lunch but um you know so so dave when we start to think about this and, and I, I don't know if i cut your thought off it, i think you're right and i i think it's a slippery slope because if we're able to say that we will not recognize that someone has been prescribed medical marijuana the next thing that we're going to say is you can't take adderall you can't take hydrocodone you can't take you know what i think that ritalin you're taking is making you jumpy i don't want you on a uh something for your 80 you know what i mean so uh, this is a slippery right. slope man and i think that we have to be able to change with the times and uh i think it's a real issue well, and I, I agree, and I think an EMS leader should not be in the position of, without doing a full diagnosis and patient intervention interview, decide what's good medicine or not. That's why yeah. physicians are physicians, and, and EMS leaders are the people out there protecting the public. There's a big difference yeah. there. Perhaps there's a role for our agency medical directors in, in being the, the, the medical authority uh, to, to help shape these policies in the future because you, you're finding more and more physicians. Uh, there's a groundswell of, of support for medical marijuana, at least, and many, many more physicians in the last 10 years have, have been more likely to to recommend the benefits of, of, uh, of medical marijuana. Heck, there are people who are prescribing ecstasy for PTSD treatment now. Um, so, oh, for, can yeah, for, uh, cancer, for cancer patients, Kelly. It's been oh, yeah. big for cancer yeah. patients for years. Absolutely. So, so maybe you know this. This is yet another issue where where informing your 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 drug policies for your agency or, or updating them to to fit the current times. Uh, yet another place where our medical directors can weigh in and provide us some realistic guidance uh, and dispel some some myths and misconceptions about the uh, the risk and benefits of, of uh, medical marijuana and that sort of thing. Now, one of the most important things an EMS leader can do right now is just take anecdotal information, saying, "I know mm -hmm. this person is on medical, and this is how you know I've observed that they meet all the the requirements of the job and they do it well." You know that information of just. Yeah everyday observation is going to be worth gazillions in terms of 
the impact it will have on the public perception of getting away from prohibition and realizing people function just fine, even though they're medical yeah. cannabis patients. Yeah, yeah, but some of the problems with that is you've got EMS leaders that are just going to be dead set against having this within their agency, and I think that that's where this challenge is going to come into, and and uh, uh, I think that that's it's going to be made more on tradition than it's going to be made on what's best for the um, uh, what's best for the employee, uh, and certainly I think that the agency is going to take the side to say I've got to worry about the public as well. Uh, you're out there driving my ambulance. Um, maybe you're not impaired, but you have it in your system. You take a drug test, the drug test comes up positive, And now I'm going to get sued because my firefighter, my paramedic was driving an ambulance with marijuana in his system and we were negligent. So when we think about this from a legality standpoint, from a very litigious society, at no time does this come back to say this is going to be good uh, if this pops around. But we've got to be able to change that, and I think that that's going to be another right. issue. Yeah, and in counterpoint to that, though, Chris, and and, and we'll let this uh, uh, Dave weigh in with a final thought before we close. But you know that I understand your point, but I also understand that many EMS leaders like that. Uh, uh, are are coming at the problem with with outdated perceptions, and, and they're of a generation that that looked at uh, uh, medical drug use and and looked at drug uh, illicit substances in general far different than the current generation does. And and their problem, their their problems with their perception of mar- medical marijuana uh, are are the least of their problems <laughs> with managing today's EMS workforce, you know, perceptions are changing and, and attitudes are changing, uh, among, uh, the people who are making decisions or, or, and the people who are, who make up the EMS workforce. So, you know, as those, you know, attitudes can change, mine has, uh, but, but for those whose attitudes won't change, they're not going to be here that much longer. Anyway, they're going to retire out of the system and be replaced with someone who has a more modern perspective on things than, than, um, viewing, uh, remembering the, 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 uh, reefer madness video, you know, and, and that sort of thing. Um, you know, you, I would have never thought, you know, Louisiana has medical marijuana. Um, however, I would have never thought that that we would be close to legalizing recreational marijuana. Yet last week, um, our uh, it passed final passage of uh, through the Senate to decriminalize recreational marijuana for per- personal use. Uh, it'll be made a misdemeanor, uh, handled more or less like a traffic ticket. All it's waiting for is our governor's signature. So I, I think you know attitudes do change, and as we see more of a groundswell of a. Uh, of support to the uh, support for this, you're going to like Dave predicted. You're going to see, um, you know, a case eventually make its way before the Supreme Court. Maybe we'll have some definitive law of the land on this. Uh, Dave, what do you think? Um, do you, do you think that that the groundswell of, of support in the different states is eventually going to reach a, a tipping point, and we're going to see a, a, a case put before the Supreme Court? And and what timetable would you reckon that is? If you had to guess, how soon would you see such a case? Well, there have been lots of cases that have made their way through the courts that have varying responses. I would say in the next two to three years, you're, you're inevitably going to see it. I think as soon as we see national legalization of cannabis, then you're definitely going to see it. And I think that's within two to three years. Um, and in response to the other stuff of EMS, you know, leaders and their concerns and the medical crew, um, again, I, I think it's bad medicine to practice EMS uh, applications of medical intervention 
in fear of lawsuits rather than in yeah. promotion of public health and safety. Observing how medical um, professionals like yourselves that are medical marijuana patients practice their craft is the important thing to look at, not so much what are the lawyers going to say about liability, because it's the you, you always find the naysayers, but they're doing more harm than good, and that just perpetuates the false narratives that have been surrounding cannabis for the last, you know, 100 years. Right. And when so uh, I, think, I, I think better days are ahead. Well, I appreciate you coming on and sharing this with us, Dave. We may need to reach back out with you as as this progresses uh, to get your take on this and keep you uh, kind of keep you in the keep us in the loop so we can keep our listeners educated. Thank you so much for this opportunity to be here. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and contact the Inside EMS team at the show at ems1.com to share your ideas, suggestions, and feedback, or if you just want to be able to join us as a guest. But, Kelly, what a show. Yeah, yeah, a, a lot of excellent questions raised and and, and uh, uh, some some answers, although not definitive. Uh, they at least dispel some of the, the myth and misconceptions we may have, and, and hopefully this will, will educate people on the issue, at least know what the, the salient points are uh, that we still have to work out. And uh, I want to thank Dave uh, Holland for coming on and, and talking today. And, and Dave, if, if someone had an issue where they wanted to seek you as a legal representation, uh, how would they get a hold of you? Well, it, it, people can go to my website, which is www.hollandlitigation.com. So it's hollandlitigation.com. Well, Dave, thanks for sharing your thoughts. You've heard what Dave thinks. We've heard what Chris and I think. We'd like to hear what you think. Do you think it's time that medical marijuana should be exempt use in EMS? Uh, what about recreational marijuana? How does your agency approach the problem? We'd like to hear your thoughts at the show at ems1.com. And for myself, co-host Chris Ceballero and attorney David C. Holland, thanks for tuning in to Inside EMS. We're going to catch you guys next week.